You're listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick. And I'm here today with attorney Brooke Moore, co-founder of MyVirtual.Lawyer. MyVirtual.Lawyer provides legal solutions for clients and helps attorneys learn to practice virtual law. Their mission is to help make quality legal help available and affordable for everyone, everywhere. And they do that by bridging the gap between do-it-yourself and conventional legal services. So welcome, Brooke. I'm so happy to have you on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Great. So why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a lawyer and kind of a a little background on your legal career and what led you to MyVirtualLawyer.com? Sure, absolutely. Um, So we actually, um, well, I have been an attorney for almost a decade now, and uh, I started out um, working for a solo, decided I you know, definitely had the entrepreneurial spirit. I wanted to be on my own. So he really was a mentor. Went out, hung my shingle, took whatever walked in the door, had a bunch of contracts, really became overwhelmed, burned out really, really fast. And then I decided I needed to find um, some other things to do because at the time, um, I my ex-husband's military. And so um, his career was very demanding. I had mm. three small children at the time. Um, and a traditional legal career just was not, even though I was self-employed, it was not, you know, really conducive for my lifestyle. And, uh, so I had tried a few other things. Um, I did some, uh, remote, uh, virtual Medicaid appeal work. I went in-house for a little bit, uh, did some dependency neglect, um, parent counsel work representing parents. And I actually had gotten to the point that, um, the court was kind of inefficient, so they would be running late, and my husband was traveling all the time, and so uh, I was having anxiety attacks that I wouldn't get to daycare in time to pick up my kids, um, and they would right. call DHS on me while I was representing these people who had had their kids taken away. Uh, so it was just I couldn't find my place in the legal, you know, profession, and I thought, mm-hmm. you know, um, maybe this isn't the career for me. You know, maybe I need to be doing nonprofit. Maybe I need to be doing something else, and um, so. I had gotten to the point that I had been hospitalized three times for stroke level blood pressure. I'd gained quite a bit of weight. I uh, was really depressed. I was just overall, you know, miserable. And um, I wasn't able to, you know, enjoy my kids' lives or my life. And so I stepped away for a little bit, spent a little bit of time with my kids and thought, well, you know, I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, and during that time, I ended up volunteering with Arkansas Access to Justice. Um, and at the time, they were pushing a limited scope representation initiative. And so uh, the rules here in Arkansas at the time were really just you can do limited scope unbundled um, practice and provide those services to clients, but there weren't really any rules or scope of what that looked like. And so um, I became very interested in that. And so I decided that I wanted to provide limited scope representation services exclusively because I felt like that was a way for me to stay meaningfully involved in the profession, but it would also be fulfilling for my personal life as well. And I'd be able to, you know, have more, you know, balance in what I was doing. Uh, And so I did a lot of research. I decided, you know, I'm going to have probably a lower price point, so I need a bigger volume. So what does that look like? Well, I need to be able to reach, you know, people across the state. And so um, to keep my overhead down, I started doing a little bit of research, but there wasn't a lot out there at the time uh, and decided that I was going to create this virtual practice. And so we are a virtual limited scope practice. Um, And we, I, I started the firm in January of 2015. So we're just a little bit over five years old. Um, and so it really was a combination of, you know, trying to find something that fit my lifestyle, but also, you know, and kind of throwing it out there as a, let's see if this works. Um, it ended up being very beneficial for clients. And I felt like I was actually doing something meaningful and making sure that clients had access to um, at least some legal services that they may not otherwise be able to have access to. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you have a co-founder when did did you bring her in at the beginning or did she come come later into the process or yeah Laura O'Brien um in I met Laura in 
2017, I believe, um, and kind of became her mentor a little bit um, when she got back into the practice of law. She's actually been practicing for almost two decades, um, but did some legal sales work in between. Um, and, you know, she and I just built a relationship. She had worked with someone who was doing more of a, a really low bono practice. She understood what I was doing in the limited scope practice. And um, I'm really kind of more on the I, I'm the ideas person and she's the implementer. So we're always, you know, joke that we're yin and yang. And, and in December of 2017, uh, she had decided to close her domestic violence um, family law practice and she joined me. So um, we've been um, co-owners of the law firm since then. And then she actually is a co-founder of our attorney component. Right. Okay. Okay. So <clears throat> let's talk a little bit more about a, virt- a virtual law firm as the way that you define it and how you work um, when you say limited scope and unbundled services, sure. your, for you, the issue came in needing to be in court and litigation and all of that. And that was problematic for you because you had young children and, um, and a husband who wasn't always around. So you, you needed to limit that. And so that's the way you're practicing now. It minimizes court appearances or you don't have court appearances at all. And, and you're tell me about that. Sure. Yeah. So um, the way that we operate, uh, everything is virtual. And so you were asking, you know, how I kind of define virtual. So uh, for us, a virtual law firm is really in your interactions with clients. So like heavily utilizing technology um, and in, in the way that you are providing those services on the client facing side. It's not just necessarily having the ability to work from home or, you know, using technology or being remote. It's really the holistic experience um, from the Mm -hmm. client's perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, you know, kind of how we define it. But the limited scope for those who don't know, um, limited scope representation, sometimes it's referred to as unbundled. It's really where the attorney assists with parts of the matter, but not necessarily all of it. So we handle the legal work and delegate the administrative task to our clients. So what that looks like for us we provide family, estate, and business law services for our law firm here in Arkansas. And for business and estate planning, it doesn't look all that much different because it's transactional work that we do. And so, you know, people are accustomed to coming to an attorney, even in a traditional setting for a will or coming to an attorney to have a contract drafted. And it's kind of a one and done a la carte situation um, Mm -hmm. where it really looks different and where limited scope is you know, really comes into play is on our family law side. Family law is a litigation-based legal service. And so essentially what we do is uh, pro se legal assistance. So obviously we vet people pretty heavily up front to make sure that they're a good fit and, you know, manage their expectations. But we handle the legal work. So a lot of times people will come to us uh, for a divorce and, you know, divorce does not always necessarily have to be heavily contested. But we are able to provide them with the documents to help them get started. And as long as it remains uncontested, then they get their documents start to finish. We don't do the filing for them. We don't go to court for them, but we provide them step-by-step instructions on what they need to do, where they need to go, what steps to take and things like that. So they're able to represent themselves kind of at a fraction of the cost, but also having access to quality legal assistance to make sure that they're, you know, informed, educated, knowledgeable, and have the appropriate documentation for, mm-hmm. for their case. Now, what you guys are doing right now is states and family law. Are there other areas that you're covering right now or are there other areas you anticipate covering in the future or that you would like to expand to? Um, we both are kind of <laughs> we're both kind of like we don't necessarily want to learn a new practice area. There are different right. things that are probably conducive. Um, we do the other attorneys that we work with, they don't all necessarily do the exact same things as we do. So when we're talking to them, we're, you know, trying to figure out if what they want to do is something that can limit the scope of representation. For me, when I started, I went with these three practice areas because these were the practice areas that I most enjoyed, but also the ones that I had experience with. And so um, I feel like it's very difficult if you do not have experience to be able to provide a limited scope service assistance to a client because you can't necessarily, you know, if you haven't gone to court for a divorce or if you haven't done a specific area of law, you don't necessarily have that expertise. Yes, you can learn it, um, but there are just certain nuances uh, mm-hmm. that it, it's hard for you to, you know, send the client, right? Right. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're not really, if an opportunity presents itself, you know, we, we might bring someone else in and hire them in the firm to, to do that practice area. I don't think we, um, we've kind of, 
whittled it down to I'm doing business law. She's doing family and estate law um, and kind of fell into her own zones uh, about a year and a half ago. But um, but there's definitely other areas that um, can be unbundled. And, and we do work with our other attorneys to help them figure out what that might look like for them. Well, that that segues nicely into my next question, which is, are is this something that you have created with the intention of being a a home base, a virtual home base for other lawyers who want to have a virtual practice, but maybe don't want to go start their own virtual practice? Are you looking to expand or grow in that way? Or is it something where, you know, this is the two of you and, you know, maybe you'll hire a couple of people kind of thing? Right. So um, the way we're set up, uh, we actually have a secondary company set up for our, our attorney services. And so um, we are actually kind of, uh, we are in two other states, uh, currently in Texas and Alabama, and we call them partner firms, but we're essentially kind of a collaborative, a collection of independent law firms um, where we actually help them get, they license our brand. So they're able to use our brand um, for that recognition but they also uh, have other things that they get with us, like our answering service and our resources and things like that. And they have one-on-one calls with us every month, but we help them essentially create that and kind of jump over all the steps and missteps that I took, you know, money I wasted early on trying to figure out how to make this work. So, you know, essentially we're trying to help them jump that piece and really get started um, and, and be that community and be that um, assistance for them in, in creating and running their virtual law firm, but also being part of our bigger community where we're all collaborating with one another, but um, they have their own independent freedom in their, in their firms and they're, you know, running their own individual practices to where they can figure out if it's more of a hybrid practice where it's partially virtual or partially unbundled and what service areas they want to provide. And they have a lot of autonomy in the kind of uh, software that they use. Obviously we have you know, team software that we all use, but um, they're able to pick that out and we are able to kind of evaluate some of that based on our experiences, make recommendations um, and and help them figure out their workflows and processes. So they're able to kind of expedite um, launching their firms. Okay. Um, so give me a sense of what it's like to be a virtual lawyer. Like what do your days look like? Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> No two days are really alike. Um, it's kind of a combination. And I've gotten to where I time block a little bit better, um, especially with, you know, COVID and with everything else right now that's going on. Um, I had my kids home for a little bit homeschooling, so that was a nice little adjustment too. Um, mm-hmm. but, but for me, um, it's, you know, in part, an average day would be, you know, doing some client consultations, talking to legal, you know, technology vendors to determine, you know, learn more about their products and determine if, you know, we want to create some kind of relationship there um, that might provide value for the attorneys that we work with. Um, working with our other, you know, we have regular meetings with a social media team. We have an automation person. And so um, Laura and I, our days look quite a bit different. I spend a lot more time um, and we just kind of fell in these roles a little bit, but I spend a lot more time on the attorney side. So I spend a lot more time um, serving as a resource locally, serving as a resource nationally, talking to people. Um, and Laura does that too, but she also uh, manages kind of the firm side of things. So she is over there reaching out to the vendors we're going to specifically use to implement things into our practice. She manages our um, automation team. She oversees our marketing folks. So um, in our, in our you know, CPA. So she really is in the day-to-day of the law firm and I'm you know, more working toward um, building relationships and, you know, the PR side of the firm, you know, partially on the client side, but also um, really working to uh, develop our, we have a, a how to build a virtual law firm course that we're running right now. And, you know, we're adding on to our course library. So building that stuff out, um, you know, finding ways to pivot and be creative. Um, I spend a lot of my day um, kind of in creative mode uh, and then some business law consultations in there because I'm the only person at the firm that does uh, business law, but she's, you know, pretty heavily doing family law. But the great thing about it is, you know, I can do it. I was able to sit down with all three of my kids and work out a schedule around their schedule when they were homeschooling and to be able to, um, you know, have certain times where I'm actually getting up early maybe and, and having calls and then the rest of my day is more administrative stuff so I can stop and help them and I minimize interruptions. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of flexibility in that. There's a lot of flexibility. Laura is a night person. She, I mean, she will work crazy night hours um, because she prefers to work at night. And so right. um, we do have a lot of flexibility in when we work, where we work. Um, I actually took a, a, a trip down to the beach you know, safely isolating, but, you know, with a uh-huh. friend who also had some work to do. And I was able to um, record a workshop that we were doing from there. I did an interview from there. So, you know, you're able to take it with you, um, do some client work. So it, it really gives you a lot of flexibility. I mean, you have to, you have to structure your time, but it gives you a lot of flexibility. Right, right. I imagine, you know, when you mentioned your partner having, being a night owl, kind of person I'm not but I know that there are people out there a lot of people out there like that um and I'm thinking that that has to be a real advantage for for her family law clients especially or well even her state planning clients because you know other people are working too and so sometimes they may need to put kids down before they can get on a zoom call or you know Mm-hmm. wait till they're in, right. in, in the times we were working in an office, wait till they're off work, you know, as opposed to taking time off from work during the day to meet with their attorney. So that's probably yeah. one of the advantages you guys have found is that your, your clients probably like that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Laura has later hours. I mean, most of my business clients can take, you know, they want to, and they take calls during the day um, right. because, you know, they're <laughs> calling me for that. So that works really well with my schedule. Um, with the kids and having activities after work. Um, but yeah, with Laura, she offers extended hours, some weekend hours. She you know, can go back and forth at night, um, but it is really convenient. Uh, we communicate with our clients through a client portal, which I think is like the key to a virtual law practice. But um, you know, that's how we interact with our clients and you know, she's accessible to them when it's convenient for them. Because like you said, I I mean, that's a huge problem. We work the same hours as a lot of our clients and they can't necessarily take off work to, you know, trek down to an office or to get on a phone call. And, and, you know, sometimes they'll get a call scheduled during our lunch break or early in the morning. And so um, it is really accommodating to the clients as well. Right, right. When you say a key, a real key to a virtual practice is this communicating with clients through a client portal. Tell me about your initial meeting with clients and your, you know, your subsequent meeting with clients. You're probably, if you're communicating through a portal, you're probably doing a lot more messaging back and forth. But do you have times where you're meeting, you know, where clients want to see your face and hear your voice and have meet you in person or have a virtual call or tell me how you handle that? So, Initially, our clients come to us uh, one of two ways. And I actually, even when I was bootstrapping it in the early days, I was like, I want control of my schedule and I do not want to have to take incoming calls. And so I have outsourced since day one to an answering service. So um, we push clients really to come in through our website and they sign up on our online calendar for a consultation call with us. And that's our initial call. Um, But they can come in that way. Or if they want to talk to a person, they can call the answering service and they'll schedule them for them. Um, And so once they get on our schedule, they have the option of either a phone call or a video call. Nobody ever chooses video. Um, You know, we we do a pretty good job, if people are familiar with us at all, um, on social media, trying to at least get our personalities, our faces out there, provide some valuable information, and then, you know, show a little bit of a personality on our website. Um, So sometimes people already feel like they know us by the time they get there. But Uh, Most of the time, surprisingly, people opt for a phone call. Uh, And so we'll have our initial phone consultation with them. Uh, And really, that is in part, you know, normal attorney stuff. We are vetting the call to see if it, you know, if the client has a case, what the matter is, what we can do, if it's a good fit, but specifically if it's a good fit for limited scope representation. Um, And if this person is competent enough to communicate and work with us virtually. And so we do all of that in our initial phone call. Um, And then we also set out a lot of expectations. We manage expectations there. We're very clear on the front, like this is how we're going to communicate. This is how we operate. This is what it looks like. Here is our timeline. Um, We're all flat fee and we do payment plans. So we, you know, can give them the price up front. Uh, So they know all that stuff up front. And then once they convert to a client from there on out, unless they add on, you know, a call, which is an additional fee, or unless there's something, you know, some extenuating circumstances or something unique in their case that they need to discuss, we don't have a further, you know, phone or video contact with them. Everything is in the portal. Um, 
but it, we actually, because we set out those expectations and manage them so well and are very clear to communicate step one, two, three, four, five, this is how many days, this is what you're going to hear from us, this is what's going to happen. We actually are not just, you know, inundated with messages. You know, occasionally you'll have someone that messages frequently, but, um, you know, the great thing about the portal is they can be freaking out about a custody exchange at 10 o'clock on a Friday night vet it all out to you so they've gotten it out in Messenger and then you can pick it up Monday morning and have a conversation back to them so they feel like they've at least been able to contact the person that they're working with. Um, and so it, you know, it, it's not really been abused um, because we're so thorough in um, explaining the process and what's going to happen because our clients, being that it is a limited scope relationship, are really involved in the process with us. Um, so they have some ownership and in power in the situation as well good good so so the second key is really making sure that you're setting those clear expectations right from the beginning and explaining it explaining to them the process because it's it's a new way of lawyering uh still you know there's still there are a number of virtual uh attorneys popping up out there but it's still a new way of lawyering so I'm sure that's really important to go through and explain this is the process. And and actually, it's it's probably caused you, because you do work this way, it's probably ca- caused you to be a lot more clear and systematic in setting those expectations. You probably do a much better job in setting those expectations than you would, say, if you were a solo meeting with people in person, uh, where you might be able to have a more, you know, fluid conversation or, or might be able to read body language or whatever it is because you thought this out and made it such a, a process oriented firm you've probably done a lot of that systems kind of thinking right right um yeah we've we've done that um and we really haven't i, I get asked a lot if we get client pushback and we really we really don't they really appreciate it and one thing you know, it is new as far as educating people that this is actually an option. Um, you know, there are people frequently that go online to try to look for online services, but they don't necessarily always think that there's actually a real attorney on the other side um, yeah. to offer those services to them. But we really, uh, you know, I always say a lot of clients have never had an interaction with an attorney. You know, this may be their first, you know, case. They, they, they're not doing it frequently if they've had any other interactions. So other than TV, which is unrealistic, even in a traditional lawyering setting, you know, people really don't know what to expect. So, you know, we teach them how to interact with us. And, you know, it's been very much appreciated. I have more appreciative clients now than I did when I was in a more traditional setting. Um, And it's because there's so much transparency and, and managing of expectations and really, um, regular communication. Yeah, it sounds like more of a partnership in the process mm-hmm. too. You're really setting them up to say, we're here to be your guide, you know, through this process. And so right. they, they are more involved in their case as opposed to sitting back and going, what's my lawyer doing on my case? Which is right. the way That's a lot of, yeah. yeah, yeah. So why do you think, you know, obviously, since the pandemic started, we know why a lot of virtual firms are on the rise. But prior to that, why do you think, um, why did you think this is going to be a really successful way to go with my business? Um, well, like I said, at first, it was just, this makes sense for me. But also as a consumer, you know, and I, and I a lot of times we'll call them legal consumers as opposed to clients because that's really what they are. Um but as a consumer, I really try to look at it from that perspective. I like the convenience of being able to, you know, go into a portal with my physician or, you know, I mean, clients are used to, a, you know, D, DIY society. They're also used to conducting business online. And so for me, it, it only made sense that that was the next natural step. And one of the things that always cracks me up when I'm speaking places, there's always, you know, at least one attorney that says, well, you know, People want to sit down, look you in the eye and shake your hand. And, you know, that is so impersonal and they, they can't trust a lawyer if, if they're you know only meeting them virtually. And then to that, my response is people meet and marry people off dating sites online 
all the time. That is a way more than your That's true. That's true. So, uh, and then they're like, oh, well, okay. Uh, but it, I mean, it's just, this is where society is going. And, you know, sometimes as a profession, I feel like we really stand in our own way, um, you know, of innovation. And we have these, you know, people who are being very creative and coming up with legal technology and alternative services that are not regulated and burdened by some of the regulations we have. Um, and so it, it is, it's happening and we see consumers, you know, going online and buying these services and searching and we're not meeting that demand. And part of that is because, you know, we're fearful of our ethical obligations or we are just stuck in the mindset of this is the way it's always been done. This is the way we're supposed to do it. And so um, I, I think now with everything that's going on, we're being forced at a rapid pace to challenge a lot of those things. And people are starting to see that, well, hey, this can be done this way um, and, and we can adopt it. There is a better way. And they're starting to enjoy that. And I, Laura and I joke all the time, like, uh-oh, we're legit now. <laughs> people <laughs> feel like, like, oh, is this a hobby? I'm like, yes, I start virtual law firms as a hobby. Um, huh. But it, yeah, it, it really is a, a legit, a legit thing. And I think people are, are realizing that at this point. Yeah, well, and I think that uh, I think if lawyers don't start, you know, it's incumbent upon lawyers to really step, get with the times. And, you know, law firms have been traditionally have been very slow to move and to make changes. Mm-hmm. And I think what's exciting is you're seeing a lot of uh, younger lawyers, a lot of women lawyers, a lot of women lawyers of color um, that are really sort of forging a new path using innovative tools. and um, the traditional law, venerable law firm, you know, that was downtown on Main Street on the brick road, you know, they're going to get left behind because we're right. we're seeing a lot of um, thinking uh, about things differently and innovating. And yours is certainly one of those models, um, you know, so it makes it, if lawyers don't do it, like you said, there are going to be other service providers that step up and find ways to do it without lawyers. And Absolutely. I think that's harmful, harmful to the consumer, ultimately, you know, it is. And, and consumers don't they don't understand necessarily the difference. And so right. I think that a little bit, uh, you know, we think everybody understands the value that we bring to the table. I mean, we know we know some of the pitfalls and things that happen and the horror stories when, you know, people don't have things properly drafted or haven't, you know, been educated on whatever matter and, and you know, just walk in. When I first started, especially, I remember people would go online and do their own things. And then they would come to me and be like, well, the judge wouldn't take this. And it's like, maybe they walked in with a parenting plan, but it's like, well, you have these other five documents that go with that. <laughs> so that's just yeah. incorporated into another document. So people did not understand that. Um, but they don't know what they don't know. They don't do this all the time. But they're also, you know, they're looking for convenience and, and also affordability. Uh, you know, we have to be able to balance that. Um, and, and we can do that if we are embracing technology. You can still have a lower price point, have more freedom and make more money. So, you know, it's just changing like you, you know, you touched on, you've got to change your mindset. It's a mindset shift into what we are supposed to be doing and what, you know, representation looks like in general. And you did say that so one of the obvious ways of uh, sort of making more money, even though you're working, you know, maybe at a lower price point is it lowers your overhead. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Although you are paying for the virtual tools, you're not paying, you know, locked into a lease that you have to personally guarantee. Um, and right. uh, but, you know, what kind of volume do you do you think that you need to create? you know, a million dollar practice out of something like this? Is this something where you you need a bigger team or you need to, you know, have you thought about that? What sort of volume you need to, do you need to make, have three times the number of clients that you would need to have if you were working in person or what? What's your idea about that? Well, I mean, actually here in Arkansas, so by that same, I say it's lower. Um, I think sometimes, especially with limited scope services, um, not necessarily just virtual, uh, people think, okay, cheap. <laughs> and so I've, I've played with my prices and changed them three times. But um, you know, we are actually 
pretty comparable for the work that we do to what like an attorney would charge, you know, maybe not a, a partner level at a mid-sized firm here, but in our state for what they would charge for what we actually do. Um, I think the difference is the way we present it. So um, say a divorce with an unconsensual divorce with kids start to finish with our firm is a flat fee of $1,500 that doesn't include a filing fee. And so, um, you know, we offer again, like those payment plans and we're able to do that. And so our, our clients actually, um, which is crazy for me going from a more traditional practice and billing by the hour and chasing people like a bill collector to, you know, mm-hmm. or getting a retainer and hoping I got more money. Um, the difference that I've seen in practicing this way, I could be charging the same thing I would be charging for a retainer, but it's start to finish. I'm limited in my representation. And in the over five years we've been doing this, we have had zero outstanding, you know, bills. Like everyone has paid in full, whether that is a payment plan, whether that is outright. Um, we have never had anyone not pay in full um, because we really customize, customize those plans. So, um, and also we're in here automating things. So, you know, if you are, charging that and you're having to manually go in uh, as a solo I used to have to manually go in and I would have a document that I used all the time for like a complaint and I would manually go in and do that and make sure that I you know didn't have any errors and it spent a whole bunch of time doing those things but for us we've automated all that to the extent that we can pretty much for a lot of things just do a final review at the end to make sure everything is there and by automate I mean we actually delegate intake to the client so they're putting their information in there so it's you know less chance of being inaccurate automating all our documents, reviewing them at the end. And so, you know, we may spend, you know, I don't know, three hours and that's, you know, talking to the client, preparing, you know, intake and then preparing them and then maybe some back and forth and then providing their instructions that we've already created. And and we're making $1,500. So, um, you know, we actually, I, I make way more money doing this than, you know, even, at what people might consider a lower price point than I was mm-hmm. before billing by the hour. And so um, I don't know that you, it really needs to be a whole lot different when we are talking to our attorneys and, and kind of helping them figure out how to set fees and figure out what they need to have to sustain. Um, it's more of what practice areas, you know, are you providing? And then once they spent a little bit of time in that, we can go back and look and, and we've cut stuff out over time too, but what what are our biggest, you know, cases? You know, what do we need to bring in? Well, this is how much we want to make sure that we are making every month or every year, you know, whatever that number is. And then this is how many divorces we need to make. This is, you know, how many partnership agreements. And so um, we really... You're starting, with the, you're starting with the end goal in mind and working backward right. and saying, right. okay, and, here, what do you want? And then how are we going to get it? Right. Yeah. And I mean, that, you know, it varies. We have some people that just kind of want to dip their toe in the water. Maybe they're um, at a place where they're only wanting to do this part time because they have young children and they're, you know, wanting to kind of build it up gradually. And so for them, that number may look different. And so um, that's kind of what we talk to them about. But, um, you know, coming up with value your time just because you have, you know, not necessarily researched every single thing, every single time you're doing it, you spent time building those templates, you spent time automating those templates, you spent money on your software, you are valuable in the in the resources you get, because I find with women, especially, because mostly, it's all women that we work with. And, you know, women tend to undervalue themselves or do a lot of stuff, low bono, pro bono, and that's great. Um, but you also have to make a living, because then you can't help people if you're not. So, um you know, it's really getting in that mindset that, you know, yeah, you may not be doing X, Y, Z every single time that you've done that work. So when you're trying to figure out how much you're going to charge somebody, you need to consider what that looks like. You need to consider the, your value, the value that you bring to the table. Right. Right. Makes, makes complete sense. Um, So have you discovered any drawbacks to working virtually? What, I mean, any challenges have come up that maybe you had to overcome or? Yeah, um, you know, especially early on, I feel like it's becoming a little bit more widely accepted. Um, Early on, it was a little bit confusing. Like I said, uh, for clients, sometimes we would get, and we don't get this anymore, but they would be confused. Like, okay, well, are you an attorney? It's just because it didn't make sense to them for you to be online. Um, That I feel like that's kind of just 
become more acceptable. And so we don't really get that as much anymore. Um, you know, we, like I said, we don't get a lot of pushback from clients. Uh, obviously, sometimes we have tech malfunctions. Um, we use our law firm here in Arkansas kind of as a playground to test out the new technology before we recommend things to other people. And so, um, you know, we've worked with some really great people who have let us kind of be, um, you know, test for some of the stuff that they're building, which is great because it's kind of more customized for us. Uh, but, you know, sometimes there are hiccups and um, you know, hopefully that doesn't impact the client. Sometimes we have to go back and say, okay, sorry, we were working with the new software and, you know, we'll get this fixed, whatever, um, if we have a little glitch. But, um, you know, generally speaking, once we have everything up, you know, tech is usually running smoothly. I- I've been going a little bit insane um, right now during everything being quarantined because my entire life is now online. So I love it when I'm working online and then I cut out and I'll go have a drink with a friend or whatever. And so <laughs> real life happens outside of it. Now everything is there. I'm having happy hours there and I'm having coffees with friends and I'm having all of my work stuff. So I'm just like, I just need to shut my computer and stop looking at it. So right, um, right, right. I know, get that. Get, yes. And you just have to get really good at setting those boundaries. I think that was real hard for me, especially before Laura came on because I was wearing all the hats and doing a lot of the stuff that I, that I didn't like doing uh, because I had to. And, you know, it, it just was hard for me to turn work off. And I remember one time my daughter drew this little picture of me, like with my computer, just sitting back, like that's how she oh, saw me just all no. the time with my computer. And I was like, Oh, I broke my heart. I was like, I've got to, I've got to do better. Um, but you know, it just setting those boundaries, it, it, it's hard, but you, you know, you set them and you know, you stick to them and you know, that's how we've kind of ended up in our roles. We're doing the stuff that we want to do. We're outsourcing the stuff we don't want to do. Um, and we're really focusing on, uh, I think a lot of people spin their wheels testing things and doing things, and that's great. And we do that to a certain extent. But our focus is on using our time um, in doing revenue-generating activities. Uh, and so uh, that kind of shifts our mindset, shifts our focus a little bit uh, to where we're able to hold those boundaries a little firm. Uh, and we don't, like, one little boundary that we have in place is we don't allow anybody on our calendar unless you book more than 24 hours in advance. There's not, no such thing as a limited scope emergency. So that's what we always say. Um, so you can, you can wait, but um, you know, generally, you know, we're going to be available, but we do that. So that way we can really uh, time block and prioritize our day. And so you just need to, there may be somebody, well, I, I want to pay with a, with cash. Well, if that's all they can do, then, you know, we, we do it all remotely. We, do, we don't take cash. So, you know, you have to be willing to say, you're not the client for me, you know, and keep focusing on the clients you're trying to attract, which is probably one of the hardest things to do is turn down money. But oh, um, yeah, especially when you're starting but, out, you know, it, you know, right, right. But it is it has served us well to hold those boundaries. And we've attracted more of the clients that we want because we have been very intentional in um, sticking to that. Right, right. It makes a lot of sense. So what is your um what is your growth goal from here do you anticipate adding other lawyers and expanding maybe in other states or is this something where you think you're going to keep it keep it small keep it all or the way you're expanding is by reaching out and maybe uh, licensing the brand yes so um here in arkansas um in goal really is to you know step away from the actual day-to-day legal work and have attorneys here that work for us um but again, technology really helps us to be able to, you know, do a lot more with fewer people. But um, our, our real goal as far as the brand is to be able to, um, you know, expand these virtual limited scope services into other jurisdictions. And like you said, it, it's through our licensing. So licensing our brand um, to grow as a big collaborative community of independent law firms, um, like our law firm here in Arkansas, for example, is a licensee of our, our brand um, company and uh, just like our other you know partner firms in Alabama and Texas. And so uh, our goal is to be able to um, grow that network and be able to, you know, help support other mostly female attorneys. We don't, we don't say no dudes, but we just, we're kind of a girls club over here. That's just who we attract and yeah. you know what we do, but um, we're all about empowering women. So um, and in making, you know, women are leaving the profession in droves and we want to make sure that they can stay meaningfully involved in the profession and have some fulfillment in their life as well. And so, um, but we do want to do that um, through our licensing program. And then, 
you know, that we're really working to build up our attorney offerings. So that way, if they're not necessarily a good fit for licensing with us and becoming part of that community, that we can bring them in through our course so that we can, you know, consult with them and help them at that level. Um, just so that way we're, we're able to reach those people and, and not turn them away. And even if they're not a good fit, they may still need some guidance. So we're trying right. to uh, build that and create that and see what that looks like. But, our, you know, our long-term goal really is to, um, you know, expand into other, you know, not necessarily our individual Arkansas law firm, but to expand uh, our brand and services, you know, to jurisdictions throughout. Mm-hmm. So what kind of advice would you have for attorneys who, women law firm owners, who really maybe because of COVID-19 or because of their lifestyle or dissatisfaction with the current uh, solo practice, they, they're considering taking their law practice completely virtual. What advice, where, would, where should they start? What advice would you have right. for them? I mean, one, it's good if they're already thinking about it um, because they're already kind of, we call it, we have our live show and we call it lawyering outside the lines. And that's essentially what it is, thinking of different innovative models and different ways to practice. But, um, you know, I would say, you know, first, just kind of shake that supposed to, you, you don't, I think people get hung up on, you know, ethics rules. And obviously we pay attention to that. We care. Um, but we are very much of the mindset with innovation that, you know, if there is not somewhere that explicitly says we can't do it, we're going to do it and we're explain why we did it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if we have any issues and, and so far that's paired well. So I think that just, you know, taking that leap, um, start small. You do not have to, I mean, obviously we've kind of grown into more robust operation, but we've been around for a while. And so, um, you know, I, there's not really a one size fits all solution for virtual law firms out there, but you know, there's certain things that you can start out with that are not going to be, um, I mean, you could start out for less than $100 with the key pieces that you need for a virtual law firm a month and be able to successfully provide services virtually. And so, you know, kind of get out of your own way in your mind the way you're supposed to be doing it first. And then, um, you know, just start with the basics. And it may be, I started and it's almost kind of embarrassing. Uh, but when I started, I uh, would send out my uh, client agreement. And I would send them. I, I did have a client portal, but there was not an e-signature solution that integrated at the time. And so I would send out right. these uh, client contracts and be like, if you could please uh, sign, print this out, sign it, upload it back or fax it over to me. You know, like I'm a virtual firm and here you go. So, you know, <laughs> there, there may be things that you have to do um, when you start out, but, you know, you'll grow and you can build on that. And so, uh, you know, seek mentors. There's a huge community, especially for females. There's a lot of female innovators and whether they're attorneys in the legal tech sphere that are happy to talk to you, just reach out and, you know, hey, can I get 30 minutes of your time and ask questions and, you know, read books, do, you know, courses, do research. And, you know, once you do that, you can figure out what works for you, but you don't, you know, you can kind of create something else. You, know, you don't need to wait necessarily for someone else to tell you it's okay to do it for us to get to the point in the profession where everything is perfectly lined up, which I don't know that will ever happen. You know, X, Y, Z, you can do all these things. There's, you know, we're vague, we're vague for a reason. And so uh, the rules aren't always clear cut. And so I would say just, you know, be smart about it, be cautious, but also, um, you know, be a little bold and step out and, um, you know, put, put yourself out there and and create some things because you can essentially effectuate those changes. I, I was, when I was working, um, you know, volunteering with Access Justice, like I said earlier, uh, here in Arkansas, I was able to actually contribute to a lot of the language I, I was using and, you know, give testimonies to clients and the way I was doing things and almost kind of structure some of the rule changes that went into place. So we can actually, you know, be very powerful and effectuate those changes. So, I mean, you don't have to wait, um, you know, for somebody else to tell you it's okay and, you know, a lot of people want to kind of tiptoe out of it, and, you know, for financial reasons, sometimes you may need to tiptoe from your big corporate job, you know, into it or, you know, moonlight with it. But if you, you know, have the ability to kind of go all in, uh, I, I think it's definitely better to to jump, jump all in with it. Right, right. I think you said something very powerful there, which is that you don't need to ask anybody's permission. Um, I know when I started practicing law, it's been a few years ago now, and 
at the time. We didn't have the resources for virtual practice, but I, uh, a few years into it, I said I was going to practice virtually, not really, you know, not really with a lot of the tools that we have now. I'm just thinking I'm going to do, I'm going to do everything through email and, you know, meet, meet with my clients on the phone and basic things like that. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, I had a, uh, an attorney, an older man tell me your clients aren't going to like that. Clients are going to like that. Mm-hmm. And he just completely shut me down. You know, clients are going to like that. Of course he had an agenda. He wanted me to rent um, office space in his very extensive office building uh, because he had some empty offices <laughs> and it was ridiculously right. expensive. For him. Yeah agenda there and i guess he thought i just fell off the turnip truck uh but i proceeded with my harebrained idea and actually did it quite well i did practice estate planning and uh mm-hmm. it you know it worked out just fine and my clients actually liked it and i was able to serve clients outside of my immediate county and immediate area i had clients mm-hmm. you know over on the coast and you know i had a lot of elderly clients who didn't like to drive you know, around here, it's I'm in the Orlando area and traffic around here, it can be really awful. And so, you know, I had elderly clients who said, you know, I don't want to drive that far. It worked out great. Um, and, and it's amazing because you could still develop a relationship with people mm-hmm. through email and the phone. Uh, you know, I had one client in particular, I remember this man in his eighties, he loved to just you know, talk to me. You love to email me <laughs> stuff, right? You know, he sent me thank you cards and you know all kinds of things. So it was really nice. Uh-huh. So I I do you know I think it's very powerful to say you don't need permission. You can practice the way you want to practice. I've had numerous attorneys through the years. You know, my young when I first started practicing would say things about the way I was going to do something and that it wasn't you know done. And um, why not? Why not? If your client, I mean, really the only people you need to be concerned about, one of the most empowering statements I ever heard is, you know, the people, if you're not paying your bills, you don't get a vote, you know, like, Absolutely. I appreciate your opinion, but they, your opinion doesn't pay my bills. So I'm going to do things, you know, the way it works for me and right. paying clients. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's client focused for sure. And, and that's, you know, our attitude about it too. Like if you don't get it, bad for you. I'm sorry that you don't understand what we're doing. Our clients like it and our clients are paying us. And so, uh, but, but yes, people definitely attorneys like to share their opinions of you. And I think part of it is, you know, maybe it's a little bit of intimidation because they don't necessarily understand it. I've, I've had, I've had attorneys say, you're stealing our clients. And I'm like, I could set up shop right next door to you, do the same thing in person and still be taking your, like, we're both licensed. Um, and it's the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. I'm like, what clients am I stealing from you? Um, right, so, right. Like, yeah. I get those clients anyways. Like, you don't, you know, so it's just so crazy. And, and to your point, some of that pushback is, um, specifically, I hear it for elderly folks. And, um, you know, there are certain people that you may not be able to serve this way. But, you know, most people have, you know, a mobile phone. So if you make your stuff accessible on a mobile phone, you can reach those people. Obviously, I mean, Arkansas is a really rural state. So here, there are areas where that may be a little bit more difficult. But if you go to the library, people are very resourceful when they need to be. Um, my very first client when I started doing this uh, virtually was a 72-year-old man. And his grandson came and hooked all his stuff up and showed him what to do. So, uh, you know, and he was very happy to, to be there. So, you know, you can, you can make it work. And like I said earlier, not Every client's going to be your client and you just have to be comfortable being able to, you know, let those go. Right, right. And I think it is surprising, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, this is the way millennials are going to interact, but that's not the way traditional clients are going to interact. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that is actually not accurate. It's it's surprising. You will have a variety of people who who will love the opportunity to work this way. And especially, you know, like you mentioned with flat fees, I know a lot of attorneys are uh, using flat fees now and it's a lot of attorneys do it, you know, because it's easy. It's easier for accounting, time tracking. I mean, think of all the time you get back from tracking your time, but also it is a great selling point. Really, it's a great selling point for clients because 
what other, you know, business do you go into where you can't predict how much something is going to cost unless it's the (laughs) medical profession? (laughs) You know, that's a whole different thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole different, that's a whole different podcast. Um, So, you know, I think there, there's definitely some, some advantages to that. I can see one of the challenges uh, as, as it is for uh, any new lawyer or solo lawyer, even, even some who've been practicing a long time is the, making sure that you are charging enough for your services and really thinking that through you you can do this and still make good money without giving away the farm you know right exactly yeah, yeah it's so, a value thing and, and it's I, I, time and time again i almost every single female that we have worked with um has had that block i feel like that's something kind of that we all share is is really we undervalue ourselves um and I think you just have to, you know, put it out there and value yourself and value your time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a mindset thing. I mean, I do a lot of work with my clients with the the mindset work and that's definitely something that we come up against all the time. And one of the very first things that we start working on changing, because if you want to increase, if you want to make a certain amount of revenue, you know, you really have to take a look at what, how you're valuing your, your services. And getting those stories out of your head about, you know, people won't pay for this, you know, taking your money stories, whatever those stories are, and projecting them on the clients. And I think it's the same thing with using virtual services, just like we talked about. There are plenty of people out there who would love virtual services, and they may be elderly people as well as millennials, as well as, you know, boomers, Gen X, right? We, you're, you're projecting a money story on them if you say, no, people won't like this and people won't use Absolutely. it. So I appreciate you being here and sharing with us. I think this is an exciting time to be a lawyer and we have amazing tools available to us that weren't even available, you know, 12 years ago when I, 13 years ago when I started my practice. So um, it's exciting to be able to do some of these things. Why uh, tell us how we can find out more about you, how we can connect with you and find out about my virtual dot lawyer. Um, yeah. So you can go to our website, which is just my virtual dot lawyer. We have two kind of paths that you can take. Um, one is, you know, for clients, you can kind of see what that looks like. And we have our different firms listed there and, and you can see how we have set up our services. We have another side that is for attorneys that talks about, our licensing program that talks about our courses and, and talks about the things that we do there. We're mm-hmm. also um, my virtual at my virtual dot lawyer. Um, we're a dot lawyer, so my virtual dot lawyer um, on Facebook um, and Instagram. And then um, if you just want to tweet at me, I'm at virtual law girl. Uh, Laura's actually at virtual law lady, so um, we're both available there as well. Or uh, my email is brooke b r o o k e at my virtual dot lawyer if anyone wants to reach out. Good. Great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation and I think our audience will really benefit a lot from what you've shared today. So thank you so much for being here, Brooke. Well, I appreciate you. Thanks so much for inviting me. At Wealthy Woman Lawyer, we help women law firm owners build profitable, sustainable, wealth-generating law firms without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. If you are ready to create more of what you desire most in your business and your life, then you'll want to sign up now for our free training, Seven Shifts to Create a Wealth-Generating Law Firm Without Killing Yourself in the Process. Register now at WealthyWomanLawyer.com training to receive this free training immediately. And thank you for listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast.